chat with Gordon Ryan. Gordon's won so many jujitsu tournaments. He's the, the most dominant person in jujitsu by far. You don't mind me saying that, do you? No, of course not. <laughs> He's the most dominant person in jujitsu by far. If you look at his Wikipedia or look around the internet, he's got so many gold, 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 dozens of them. So I don't even know which ones are most important. What are, what are the most important uh, accolades that you put on your resume so far? Uh, so my top three or four would be uh, ADCC is by far the biggest. We have ADCC every two years. It's basically our Olympics. Um, so it's ADCC on top and then everything else is below that. Uh, so I'm a three-time ADCC champion, and then uh, IBJJF, Nogi Worlds, most people consider to be uh, a big event. Um, so I won my division and uh, the open weight, so I'm a double gold champion there. Um, and then uh, either Nogi Pans, IBJJF, people would probably put above EBI, but I put four EBI titles above um, the Nogi Pans. So um, between those four, ADCC, Nogi Worlds, Nogi Pans, and EBI, those are probably my biggest uh, titles and then I have a bunch of super fights that I've that I do for just obscure shows that uh, aren't titles but I beat big names there and, and at the moment you're 26 26 yeah 26 years old you maybe have a couple more victories left to, to add to that I'm, I'm hoping so yeah I'm hoping so <laughs> where did that start from to tell me about little Gordon before you were both of us are pretty big fellas <laughs> yeah what, so this is what's actually, little Gordon's life like this is actually a pretty interesting story um, when I was uh, when I was a kid I used to go to daycare and my daycare teacher, I was maybe seven years old, six, seven years old when I started, and my daycare teacher never, uh, never did any kind of martial arts, never trained jiu-jitsu, never wrestled. Um, he, was just, he just played basketball all through school. But he used to watch UFC and listen mm -hmm. to Joe Rogan commentate the matches, and he used to come in to the daycare and like try to recreate the submissions, and he would teach the submissions mm -hmm. to the kids in the daycare. So he'd be like, oh, here's a Kimura. And he would like try to explain it how Rogan explained it. And then he'd be like, okay, now drill it. So we would like go in and we would like practice it with each other. And he'd be like, all right, so now we're gonna like have matches where we'd all just circle up and like I would wrestle my friends in, uh, in daycare. And this went on for years. And uh, I was better than my friends. I was like submitting all my friends. I didn't know anything really, but I was submitting all of my friends that I would, I would grapple with. And then uh, one day when I was 15, I was shopping with my mom and I saw a sign for jiu-jitsu on a storefront, and I was like, I really want to start doing jiu-jitsu. So I finally convinced my mom to let me start doing jiu-jitsu at 15, hmm. and then uh, I started actually training at 15, and then from 15 on, I trained and then eventually became professional. That's, a, that's really one of the most amazing, you know, early, <laughs> yeah. early event yeah, stories yeah. <laughs> that I've ever heard. I, I've interviewed, I don't know, more than 50 athletes, and half of them from you know, the UFC champion, 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 and. It's one of the most amazing. So, like yeah. daycare, <laughs> yeah. inspired by UFC. We have we have like a mini fight club in the daycare. So that's amazing. That's amazing. That's a great place to send your kid to daycare. <laughs> if uh, it happened now, oh my God, it would be like a national news story. Like the things we used to do there. But at, with all of us, we all the kids loved it. It was amazing. But it just absolutely wouldn't fly now. So you're obviously a very quick learner. What, what were some of the? Was that um, high IQ plus something, or what, what would you what would you attribute some of that success to? To go from you know, 11 years ago, you know, starting jiu-jitsu to, to what you've accomplished since then is, um, nobody's done that. I mean, it's really uh, my coach, John Denneher. Um, when, I, when I first started training, I was basically like a athletic meathead. Like if a move didn't work, I'd be like, oh, if I do it a little bit harder, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger, it'll work the next time. Hmm. Um, and then I met John and uh, he completely changed my whole way of thinking. Um, he, he, uh, he taught me to think about the mechanics of the sport, to think about um, the underlying principles of the sport. And uh, he really, he 
a combination of him teaching me and all of his students just destroying me every day. Like people who like weren't nearly as physically intimidating as me, just heel hooking me, you know, six, seven, eight times around. Then I try to do knee slides into half guard harder and harder, and I just keep getting heel hooked. And after six months, I'm like, well, this isn't working. Like I have to do something, otherwise I'm just gonna get beat up every day. Um, and then you know, John started to. Uh, you know, to get me into a mindset of really thinking about the sport, thinking about, um, you know, the science of the sport, how the mechanics work, how the, how the biomechanics work. And uh, ever since I met him and started working with him, I really just totally changed my entire outlook and, and perception of, of what jiu-jitsu is. You know, I, I follow John's page as well. Shout out to John Dean here. I follow John's page as well. He's a high IQ guy. He's, he's, a, he's a smart one on the team. <laughs> I, I just learned this today. I was looking at your Wikipedia, and off of that I benched off. I was looking at John's Wikipedia, and, and I've had this thought like, a few times that the explanations, like in, let's say, IG captions, the explanations that John would give about certain things, um, I mean, they're, they're very detailed. And I'm, I'm like, this, you know, in my head, I'm like, this guy is like a philosopher of jujitsu. Yeah, he, uh, he almost got his, he actually was going to get his PhD in philosophy. He left to do jujitsu full time, but he was teaching at Columbia at the time, and um, he was a very high level, uh, very I, high level in philosophy. I literally found that out today. When so he was I, at Columbia, yeah. I had a minor in philosophy in undergrad, and if I wanted to, I could have got it. It was two classes away from having a second bachelor's degree, uh, you know, the second one being in philosophy, and you know that has uh, about zero monetary value in the world. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I, uh, if I wanted to, it was right there, you know. But uh, anyway, I've had I've had enough, you know, twenty thousand pages of philosophy over the years. That when I hear him, when when I when I read the way he thinks about that sport, um, I made that connection in my head. And I didn't know until today. Yeah. I looked at the Wikipedia and I saw these, you know, working on um, his PhD in philosophy, and I'm like, oh, that's very interesting. So I thought that was a. It 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 all made sense to me, you know. I had that intuition already that he he thinks about it that way, but I didn't know that he studied philosophy formally. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because. Uh, like most guys, I mean, you know, most coaches, they just they teach what have been taught to them, and then they their students teach what were taught to them, and then the sport it progresses. You know, a guy figures something out here and there, but it's in general the same thing thing through generations. Whereas John took like a college level professor approach to the sport, and I think it's way better, and it, it leads you into situations where you have people who have been training for a very short amount of time, making far uh, larger amounts of progress over a short amount of time than people who have been training for 10, 20, 30 years. Do you remember the, the learning process? You know, I'm, I'm relatively new to jiu-jitsu, and I, I feel like I'm advancing you know, much quicker than I thought I would and much, much quicker than some of my coaches originally thought that I would. And you know, I, I have a, a peculiar way about me that if, I, if a, somebody does a move to me a couple times, and I sit around and think about that and replay it in my head and, and kind of connect the dots of, uh, I'm gonna go a little deep and nerdy here, but um, that's what I'm all about. I like it. I like perfect. Deep and nerdy. Maybe maybe you'll <laughs> laugh, or maybe you'll have a deep nerdy response. I don't know which, but uh, I'm open to either. But you know, uh, I tell that you know Jake Shields is my main MMA coach, and you know teaches me a, a hell of a lot about jujitsu. And um, you know, when we do something, Jake will do something to me two or three times, and I'm like, you know, okay, give me a minute. And I kind of look off like autistically, and like you know, the, those are my most brilliant moments of the day. If I look a little autistic, yeah, I, and I can relate. Staring off in the <laughs> distance, those are the most valuable moments of the day for me, for whatever I'm up to that day. So if I can replay that in my head a few times, and and think about how it relates to other things that I already understand, and some of them might be weird business concepts or other you know athletic type things, but if I if I can make those sort of philosophic connections in my own head, you know, and then. Uh, 
then I'll do something to him a couple times and I'll give myself feedback and I'm very open to his feedback as well. And you know, pretty soon I can internalize something um, pretty, pretty damn quickly. And after I have it, I have it. It's very sticky. After I learn something, yeah. like I, I have it and I can do it again. If, if I haven't done it for a couple months, I can still do it. You know? yeah. It's stuck in my head then. So I'm just curious if, you're, if you have an awareness of your brain function that way of um, you know, what's the, what's, how, do you, how have you learned this? And then maybe additionally, how have you seen others that excel in your sport? That, uh, what is that learning process like for the people that you see that are you know, high-level performers? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty similar. Um, where if I am thinking about something, I think about it, think about it, think about it, and then I, I got it. Um, like if John shows me something or he tells me something, I'll sit there for a good 10 seconds, I'll think about it, I'll replay it in my head, maybe I'll drill it a, one, one or two times, and then I got it. If it, if it, uh, if it was a mistake I made, for example, um, and John specifically corrects that, the chances of me making that mistake again are pretty, pretty low. Um, for me, the biggest thing that helped me learn and everything started clicking was uh, I started training full-time under John when I was mid-level purple belt. And uh, he was teaching moves every day, obviously. And uh, I was learning the moves, learning the moves, learning the moves. And then one day it clicked. I'm like, oh, this is a system where if one move fails, it brings you from beginning, middle, and you get to an end. Where if one move fails, you can always move to the next move, next transition, and you can get through a breakthrough and get a submission or get a guard pass or whatever the case is. And then I started to realize, okay, well, here's the leg lock system. And then we started going into back attacks. And then you have a you know, move here, move there, move here from back attacks. And then you're like, oh, this is a system too. And then you did it with guard passing. And then you do it with kimuras. And then you do it with triangles. And you're like, oh, these are each individual systems. So then you have, you first initially start learning individual moves. Then those individual moves branch into systems. And then what really starts to get you good and it starts to get complicated is with each system that fails, the weakness of one system is covered by, the deficiencies of one system are covered by the strengths of another system. Mm -hmm. So if you go for an arm bar and the guy poshes out of the arm bar and pulls his arm away and the upper, upper body is no longer available, you scoop the legs and you go into your leg lock system. And then if they sprawl the legs back, then you go in and you go back into the upper body attacks. So you use the strengths of one system to cover the weaknesses of, the, of another system. And that's where everything starts to come together. And then I was like, oh, okay, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then, you know, brown belt, black belt, and I was like, okay, now I feel like I actually know, you know, I have a vision of what I'm trying to accomplish now. How long did that take you to go from, you know, day one white belt to earning your black belt? It was five years. Yeah. Five so years, which was, which was quick. Uh, most people are between eight to ten plus. Uh, but I was doing it, I was competing and I was beating upper level belts. I was beating uh, black belts when I was a blue belt and a purple belt in competition. So um, I moved to the ranks pretty quickly. I had my brown belt for a short amount of time. And then um, I actually, I got my black belt because I was supposed to compete in my first EBI, but they wouldn't take black belts at the time. So John promoted me just so I could make my debut in my EBI, which was my breakout tournament. So thank God he promoted me and I was able to do it. Um, but yeah, it was uh, five years from white to black. That's, that's amazing progress that, uh you know, and it's not something that somebody can question when you have results like yeah. you've had in the aftermath. It's not something like, oh, this kind of quick. Well, there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of people complaining about it. But uh, then I won the EBI. I beat uh, an ADCC medalist and an ADCC champion that night. And then everyone was like, okay, fine, you can have his black belt. <laughs> you made tremendous progress. You know, very quickly. You had, you know, obviously, you, you could do this for a long time and let yet in your lifetime. Um, you get little hater comments here and there. I'm sure. Oh yeah, uh, every day. You ever met a hater doing better than you? I haven't. 
I haven't either. I can't, I can't say Funny I have. how that works. <laughs> I met a lot of people that were uh, maybe 30-something billionaires I shook hands with, and a few of them I know personally or have relationships with. Never had a, a person that was a lot richer than me tell me I was poor or make yeah. fun of me that way, you know? So yeah, it's can, funny how haters work. Yes, it is. It's very <laughs> I, have, I, have, uh, I have a good amount of them. And uh, actually, there was one guy today who, was, uh, who always, who always uh, talks shit online and uh, says he's going to beat me and this and that. And um, he did the trials today, the ADCC trials that I was just coaching at. And uh, he's, a, he's a black belt from one of the rival schools that I compete against. And uh, he went out and got submitted by a blue belt. <laughs> and uh, I had a field day with that. It was great on Instagram. So. That's great. I'm happy you're having a, a, <laughs> a lot of laughs in your day. Um, true or false, the number one thing a hater hates is themselves. Oh, absolutely true. Absolutely true. <laughs> yeah. Because they look, at, they look at your success and they're like, well, I can't have that. So it's easy to hate something that you can't have or can't achieve. I have a theory. I've thought about this a bit because, you know, the, the number one thing people say about me on the internet now, mind you, I'm like, I help people like with, you know, finance, investment, you know, real estate investment, yeah. stock market investment, entrepreneurial things. At no point in my life did I claim to be a fitness model. But yeah. the, the number one thing people say, well, Derek, you're fat. Derek, you're fat. You know, I, I, may, I might make $2 million in the stock market in a day. Derek, you're fat. <laughs> well, then, yeah, good thing I didn't claim to be a fitness model, but that wasn't the metric that I was, you know, I, I yeah. never purported to, uh, what, I wasn't, I wasn't, to be a fitness coach. I wasn't trying to be that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's interesting to watch things like that develop. But, um, you know, a curious thing that I, I, I used to think that, you know, like, like a, a hater is just like a, like a loser, and that's true. But it's not a person. I, I think that a, a person picks somebody to hate on, that they're, they're like, they see some potentiality in themselves that if earlier in life they made some effort. That could be them. Yeah. And that's the person they choose to, yeah, yeah, I could have done that too. I but, could. But they're a loser. But they but, were too lazy. But I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And, yeah. and it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. But they're, yeah. in, the, they're in that position. <laughs> there was a great lesson that I got from my mother. That my, my mother was one of these people that had an extreme victim identity, but like the worst I've seen in my life. And I grew up with that. And I'd, I'd watch her, um, you know, she hit her foot on a table or a chair or a door and, um, and then curse at the object, you know? But, you know. And she meant it. You could hear it in her voice, like she meant it. And, you know, and she never even gave herself like feedback about that, that like because she externalized the thought to the object rather than internalized like, hey, Maybe I shouldn't do that again in the future. Like maybe I should modify my behavior. So that was an absurd, absurdly bizarre thing for me to watch all through my childhood. That this was a common occurrence. That you know, a couple times yeah. a month she'd bang into something and then curse the object and never give herself the feedback to modify her behavior of her, her movement through the world. Yeah. And you know, I, I looked at that and how that played out in numerous areas of her life, and um, that really helped me at a young age to be thinking, you know, to first to have a thought about personal responsibility, to be like, well. Which like doesn't exist in 2022. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> exist on the internet. You know, it still exists about, you know, amongst anyone who's doing something. You yes, know? of course, of course. Amongst anyone who's doing anything, you know, respectable or anyone that you or I would care to talk to, they still have that. But on the internet, you know, there's there's a lot of poor suckers out there that are they have this thought in their head that they can do not much and have exceptional results, or they can, you can make a half-ass effort and have a champion outcome at something, which yeah. is an absurd thought. That you know, I, I think. Um, you know, if you, if you made 100% effort at something, wh whatever you think is 100% today would not be sufficient to have an optimal outcome tomorrow. That if you made 100% effort today, if you really gave something your all, 
in the midst of that, you'd have a couple new learnings. You'd, you'd banish a couple inferior thoughts and develop a, a couple uh, superior thoughts. And your 100% effort tomorrow would be better than your 100% sure, effort sure. today. And, and your competition's doing that if you're not. And you're you know, a person who doesn't have that sort of a philosophy. They're, they're really in trouble, you know? So it's, it's not even enough to, give, to make 100% effort today. You have to up the bar, literally you have to up the bar a bit more tomorrow, a bit more the next day, a bit more the next day. And, and if you don't do that, again, your competition is, and they're, they're grateful for your sacrifice of uh, you know, your full potential. And a separate thought from that, and I'm curious your thought, like if you made a 90% effort instead of 100% effort, how many, uh, how many of these awards and championship medals would you have? Oh, it would be, be significantly less. Probably something close to zero, I would think. It would be significantly less. I mean, everyone else in the sport is so amateur and lazy that they just, like these guys like train three times a week. So like in any other a aspect of life where there's actual real competition and people are professionals, yes, I agree with you. Um, in jiu-jitsu, it's a little bit easier because everyone's just an amateur to begin with, so it's a little bit easier in our sport. I'm a chubby business guy in his 40s, and I'm training four times a week. Oh with, yeah, there's multi-time world champions. There, I know, m like most of my serious hobbyist friends, all train like two to three times more than like the people that I compete against. It's crazy. That's wild. Like they just rather would surf and sit on the beach. And uh, most, most the mi mindset in jiu-jitsu is, I'm running out of money, so let me do a competition. Let me teach a seminar. I'm gonna make mm. three thousand here, five thousand here, and then. I'm good for the next two months. And then when I run out of money, I'm gonna teach a seminar here, competition here, and then I'm good for the next two months. And then they just, that's how they live. And I'm like, how can you guys, I, I don't know how you guys, what are you gonna do when you retire? Like, I don't, like what's the plan? They just said day to day, and it's, uh, it's interesting to watch over the years. I, I see people that you know, claim the, that they're entrepreneurs do similar things like this. That you know, somebody, a young person might go make 10 grand in a month, and they think that's a lot of money at that moment in their life. But in month two, instead of making twelve or fourteen thousand and you know keeping the progression, they decide, uh, you know, hey, I'll take a month off and, and chill, man. I'll go chill for a while, and then I can make uh, in month three maybe I can make another ten grand, and yeah. then take month four off too. And I think you know that the same the same sort of person, a person with similar competencies that again could have made twelve or fourteen the next month, and maybe sixteen or eighteen the next month, and pretty soon twenty five and so on. And instead of compounding the gains that. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, the, the tragedy is a person that could have done that at an early age, uh, you know, they're going to have a hundred million, couple few hundred million dollars later. And no. um, I, I'm grateful my competition doesn't have that much dedication to their success, and they don't care about their future the same way that I did. So that's thoughtful of them to sacrifice their future, but and um, make me look better by comparison. But um, it's a, unfortunate in the sense of not living up to their potential. I've I've thought in business. And th this is where I was going with that 90% thing that, you know, to, to do what I did, I, you know, and I had plenty of flaws and blemishes and, you know, we could spend days talking about things that I messed up in business. And you, if you don't have, it's, it'd be like getting your black belt without ever being submitted. It's, yeah. I mean, you, you got choked 10,000 times yeah, on the way to the black belt. So if you wanted to have the, you know, the equivalent in a, in a yeah, business course, context, I've made, you know, so many hundreds of errors and that I'm aware of, <laughs> and then probably numerous more, countless more that I'm unaware of that, you couldn't have uh, known that at the time, or I didn't have enough information. I would have made different decisions with different information. And despite that, I've still done very well. And despite that, I'm still young enough that I can do a hell of a lot better. But um, I, I've had this thought that like, if you made a 90% effort, you don't get 90% of the outcome. 
you know, if you made a 100% effort and got the outcome that you would get with that, a person that made 90% effort, they don't get 90% of the outcome. They get, I think it'd be lucky to get 20% of the outcome. Yes. And, and a person that's making an 80% effort might get 3% of the outcome available. That you're, you're not going to make, uh, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to win any notable award or have any notable success yes. making an 80% effort yeah, day I after agree. day. I agree. I, I think people don't understand that. They say, oh, I'm working pretty hard. It's like, all right, but you know, I don't take days off. Yeah. And you know, when in my leisure time, I'm still you know lead, listening to an audio book, watching a documentary, talking to other smart people, learning from champions, and um, maybe one more thought building on that. I also don't have any accidental friends. I have zero accidental friends at this point in my life. I used to have you know everybody, everybody grows up with whoever they grew up with, and you know the the person who happened to live two blocks away from you that was your best friend in childhood, like. That's great if they if you were an ambitious person and they were too and maybe you helped each other but that's kind of a rare case that yeah. most people outgrow the people that they grew up with and um, I begged my friends to come with me and do cool stuff with me most of them made fun of me for it at the time you, you have an experience like that with any of your friends from earlier in life oh well, yeah I mean I told everyone growing up that I was going to be an athlete and uh, the reason why I started doing jujitsu was because I wanted to I wanted to fight mixed martial arts um, and I just the first uh, the first UFC I ever saw was uh, a Hoist Gracie tribute. It was Hoist Gracie versus Keith Hackney, and then it was all of UFC one. And I was like, "Oh man, I love jujitsu." So I used to tell all my friends, "Like, yeah, I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, you know, I'm gonna fight for a living." And they're like, "What are you talking about?" I'm like, "Well, someone's got to do it. Why can't I do it?" And like everyone just thought that was insane. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "No, I'm gonna grow up to be like an athlete." And like no one believed me. I was like, "Oh well, why can't I do it?" And then uh, everyone now who I went to high school with, everyone's like, "Oh my God, man! Like, can't believe." You're actually like doing what you said you're gonna do. I was like, yeah, yeah, I just that's what I wanted to do.